Coming up on Philosophy Talk, can science explain consciousness? To explain something means to show it to have been expected or predictable. The mind begins where the physical world ends, out of reach of science. I think we have excellent reasons for thinking physical is really all there is, but I don't quite see that all the physical stuff explains all the mental stuff. Is consciousness free, spontaneous, and forever mysterious? Our guest is Joe Levine, author of Purple Haze, The Puzzle of Consciousness. We want to know from the first person the what it's like. Can science explain consciousness? Coming up on Philosophy Talk after the news. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Uh, except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of 91.7 KALW in San Francisco. Continuing conversations that began at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus. And they migrate from air, there to the air and from the air to the internet via our blog, the blog.philosophytalk.org. And you, go, you can also download podcasts of our program as well. John, our topic today is whether science can explain consciousness. And we're going to tackle this topic in three parts. First, we're going to delve into the mystery of consciousness. It's a very puzzling phenomena. Secondly, there are some philosophical arguments that there's an unbridgeable explanatory gap between science, what science can explain, and, and this phenomenon of consciousness. And third, we're going to ask, well, if there is an f- explanatory gap, what's the significance? Does that mean that religion was right? There's more to the mind than there could be in the, than there is in the brain? Or maybe the mind is just a mysterious hunk of meat? It is just a brain, and we'll never understand it. Well, let me take my mysterious hunk of meat and get started here. First, let's ask, what do we we mean by consciousness? And I think what we mean is just that we have experiences. It's, It's like something to be us, to think, to feel, to taste, to see. And that seems to be a basic difference between us and other things, Uh, tables and chairs, even between us and intelligent computers. They can do things, they have intelligence, but we don't really believe they have experiences, do we? Well, I I grant you that. Maybe computers don't have experience, and certainly tables and chairs don't, but I don't quite understand where the mystery is yet. I mean, as we know more and more about the brain, won't consciousness be better and better understood, just like everything else? Yeah, but won't there always be a gap? Let me give you an example, Ken. I think you're old enough to remember the classic movie Fantastic Voyage. Arthur Kennedy and Raquel Welch are put in a submarine, which is then shrunk down to a very small size so it can be inserted into the bloodstream of a dissident Russian scientist who's had a stroke. Remember that? Yeah, I remember that movie. The idea was there this little laser you could destroy the blood cut because the laser was so small you wouldn't destroy any of his important memories, right? That's right. All right, so now imagine that I'm with Arthur Kennedy and Raquel Welch in the submarine floating around in this guy's brain. Matter of fact, let's assume we're floating around in your brain. We can see everything that happens in your brain. We are as in good a position as a, as a scientist would be with the most powerful microscope. Now I ask you, could we see a thought? Could we see a sensation? Could we tell what you were thinking? Would we know what it was like for you to be tasting Pinot Noir just because we see what's happening in your brain? Well, if we were just plunged down there without any neuroscientific knowledge or background, we'd be puzzled. But if we had done a lot of neuroscience before, neuroscience could say, yeah, see, there are the correlates of consciousness. There's the C-fiber firing, and so there's pain. Yeah, we could do it. Yeah, but there'd still be a gap 
Maybe that little pattern of activity in the brain is correlated with the taste of Pinot Noir, but isn't the taste of Pinot Noir something different? Why does that brain activity give rise to this particular sensation? That's what philosophers call the explanatory gap, the gap between anything we could know about the brain and what it's like to have the conscious experience that's connected with it. Okay, you've got me, you've got me a little puzzled, uh, maybe deeply puzzled, and we're going to dig into that. And to help us start digging into that, our roving philosophical reporter, Zoe Corneli, went out and she files this report. Imagine sitting in a theater. Everything is dark except a spotlight shining on an actor playing Hamlet on the stage. To be or not to be, that is the question. The only thing you're thinking about is, is what's happening in that spotlight. But there's a lot more going on in the theater. There are other people in the audience, and behind the scenes, directors, stage managers, and costume designers have all helped create what you're seeing right now. To sleep. No more. That's the analogy cognitive psychologist Bernard Bars uses to describe consciousness. Tons of little processors running around uh, doing all kinds of interesting and important things, such as analyzing the language that you're hearing right now. You're doing that unconsciously. And the same thing for the speaking control system, and the same thing for vision, and so on. So all the conscious things that um, you're aware of are kind of embedded in this huge swarm of unconscious processors which are very sophisticated and which operate um, uh, without conscious intervention. Those are the directors and stage managers. Your conscious experience is what's in the spotlight. And the thousand natural shocks that flesh is heir to. Barr's research started out with a simple question about consciousness. When do we have more of it? And when do we have less of it? And the most obvious example of that, of course, is falling asleep. To sleep, a chance to dream. Since the 1980s, Dr. Bars has found many more examples of unconscious states. He compares them to conscious states to try to isolate exactly what it means to be conscious. And you start seeing what happens when people lose consciousness, which happens, for example, with uh, a condition that's called epileptic absence, where people have a momentary epileptic seizure, but not enough to uh, make them fall down or anything like that. They just freeze. I, I once saw a speaker at a conference uh, go through this, and he just stopped. And so we can ask the question, well, uh, what has he lost during that moment of epileptic absence? Another example is called inattentional blindness. You may have seen this demonstration in your psychology class. Uh, if you're looking um, at a, uh, a little movie of uh, students uh, tossing a basketball back and forth, and your task is to count the times the basketball is passed between the students with the white shirts and the students with the black shirts, and somebody walks on the stage in a gorilla costume, and waves at you, you may not see that at all. The light is hitting your retina. Your visual cortex identifies a person in a gorilla suit. But if that information isn't broadcast to the rest of your brain, you won't know it's there. You're not conscious of it. You need to have involvement of the, the non-sensory cortex or the non 
visual cortex for visual consciousness to be experienced. Because one hypothesis is that uh, consciousness is the, uh, is the national media of the brain. It's the broadcasting system. It's the radio and TV or the World Wide Web. So if all the world's a stage, perhaps the most important one is in your mind. Aye, there's the rubber. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Zoe Corneli. You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.